0: Whoever is listening, guys, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann and welcome to the Man with the Plan Park podcast and part eight of our Clemson football preview series. We're winding down this series. It's been an absolute blast to produce. We've got Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and with the Clemson fans in my audience, we got South Carolina coming up. So you got a brace for that one. Today we have Kelly Quinlan, the publisher of Jackets Online. So Kelly, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for taking the time to do this.
1: No, no problem. Happy to come on.
0: So just to start out, and I love getting this inside scoop from our writers and talking about what your role is within your specific site. And I know you and I had a prior conversation that covering Georgia Tech's not your only team that you're currently working with. So what's that like covering multiple teams?
1: so I have a staff of about 15 guys who work for me. Um, I have multiple rival sites. So I have our Georgia tech site, which I'm the main beat writer for cause I'm in Atlanta. Um, and then I have three people who work and help me on that site. I own our, the second site I got was Cincinnati I have a guy that covers Cincinnati and I just kind of help him, um, guide that A guy covering Mississippi state that, um, there's two people working on that site and, They're in Starkville, um, just younger people trying to build a site from scratch and kind of a more of a guiding role there. And then, uh, the big, and then South Florida, I have, um, two guys that work on South Florida. I help with the recruiting with that one because, um, I don't do a lot of recruiting with the Georgia tech thing. I have a a full-time recruiting writer and a a hoops writer. So, uh, recruiting writer. So they kind of handle that on the Georgia tech beat. So I help just kind of keep my toes in, in football recruiting. And then, um, we have a Alabama site. So that one's huge. We have I think six or seven people working on that site right now. And, um, there again, just kind of overseeing things, doing a lot of administrative stuff and then kind of being a presence on the message board there more than, um, doing a lot of stuff though. I just went up to sec media days, uh, which is always a little awkward for me. Um, you know, I started, I covered UGA, um, uh, for seven years and, um, so it's a little weird going back there now after having covered Georgia Tech since 2009, um, going to like – I went to the SEC basketball tournament. I went to um, media days the last two years, so that's been a little funky. But uh, I feel a more comfortable with the ACC just because it's my people, but I still have tons of friends that cover the SEC, so it's not that weird. But it is a little uh, – there's a famous quote from Al Groh, the former Virginia coach, that was uh, – he felt like um, – a Catholic at a Baptist church, like when he was at Georgia (laughs) Tech, because it was just so different than, than Virginia. And I always kind of feel that when I'm at SEC thing.
0: Yeah. I get, you certainly get a lot of different perspectives, especially with the conference that's just about to add Oklahoma and Texas to the mix. So that there's probably a little more, not of a buzz, but there's a lot of intrigue heading into at least 2024. Well, next year when we get those two teams, but there's obviously going to be a lot of conversations surrounding that george is trying to repeat or go back to back to back try to do that three times yeah three there it is um (laughs) it's always the the words you're trying to find but yeah the sec is always going to have a lot of headlines so i'm sure that's really fun to be able to go out and explore at the very least
1: yeah it's not i don't the actual events like not as cool as the acc one to be honest with you like it's the access is not as good the food's better at the acc thing the I think the events run better at the ACC thing, but it is funny watching all these different like personalities try to <laughs> insert themselves into the SEC one.
0: It's interesting stuff. So let's start to get into the Georgia tech yellow jackets. And I think what really, really speaks out to me, I think this is the only team within this 10 part series that had a coaching change. And in the middle of the season with uh Jeff Collins, after four games being outed, uh, only win was over Western Carolina and they included losses to Clemson and UCF and you bring in a guy like Brent Key so Georgia Tech starts one and three but they're able to finish 500 the rest of the way with big wins over Pittsburgh ACC runner-up and UNC and a Duke team that won nine games in overtime so how what is that kind of process in the middle of the year where there's such an overhaul on the coaching staff how do you as a reporter What's your angle for that kind of stuff and what did you see from Brent Key in 2022 that you really liked?
1: I, I thought he did a good job of um, Jeff Collins made everything about Jeff Collins. Like it was about him and um his personality and him talking to the kids about how he's done X, Y, and Z and stuff. And Brent made it all about the players and personal accountability and clean up the locker room and, and there was a lot of sort of um, you know, Jeff had all these sayings like everything is earned and a lot of it was sort of a joke because it wasn't there was a lot of um, inherent kind of favoritism to certain players and I I always felt like they um, didn't understand their personnel really well and, and kind of what to do and he was constantly tinkering in the defense and it was funny the the prime example of this is Andrew Thacker was this guy that tech fans hated he was the defensive coordinator he wasn't really calling the shots Jeff was you know, made his bones as a defensive coordinator. So when he gets fired, Thacker just gets to run his defense the way he wants to, with help from, you know, the guys on the staff at the time. And they were like night and day different. Like they had played well. They played well against Clemson in the opener, but there would be all these times when they just had a bad plan or whatever. And they get blown out. And that kind of went away and they played pretty consistently. The thing that kind of let them down and why they didn't go to a bowl game was, you know, Jeff Sims, their starting quarterback, gets hurt. They put in Zach Gibson, who was the wrong quarterback, as the backup. He struggles. They put Zach Pyron in, and as a true freshman, he plays well, and then he breaks his collarbone in the Miami game when they're going in to score to, I think, maybe tie the game. And then they end up getting blown out in the end of that game. Um, but, you know, they they just – they play really well. They had two – the last two games were two of the most impressive coaching jobs I've ever seen. They played North Carolina um, and beat North Carolina in North Carolina at night with you know their best receiver out and their starting quarterback out and the guy that was the backup out they were with the third and fourth string quarterback alternating them uh tyson pumachan coming in and playing is basically wildcat quarterback uh at times for them and then they went into georgia and they had a chance to go up two scores on georgia Uh, one of the tight ends who's playing hurt drops a pass that probably might have been a touchdown Um, And they Kirby said that was Kirby smart said that was the biggest scare they got in the regular season was that game. And um, you know, other than uh, Ohio state, they played Georgia, probably the best of anyone last year. So they've shown that they can, that he can get the most out of these guys. He's just got to do it now for 13, 14 games, whatever it is. Like, and if you can do that into the season, I think they have a chance because you know, there's three hard games on the schedule they play early in the season. Miss you play Clemson in the middle on the road and then you play Georgia or Clemson really towards the back end of the schedule. And then at Georgia, uh, Georgia and Atlanta at the end of the year. So the rest of the games are winnable games. Like I'm not buying into the Louisville hype yet. Like I don't understand why people think they're going to win 10 games other than their schedule's easy. easy. Um, I think there's too much, probably too much being put on Jeff Brom as being like this Svengali coach. And I don't, See it. They have so many new players, and then um, you look around the rest of the league: Syracuse, Wake Forest. You know, Dave's a great coach at Wake Forest, but they've lost a lot, and they keep losing guys in the portal that are key guys. And and you just don't know what you're going to get. That's going to be a tough game. But you know, Syracuse. What is Syracuse this year? There's a lot of. Things where I look at these games and I'm just like, I don't know. Like, and Carolina hasn't beat Georgia Tech in a while now. Like that, Jeff Collins owned them, and then Brant beat them last year too. So I don't, I, I don't, I don't think it's like some gauntlet for you know whether you're looking at Clemson or Louisville or Carolina or whoever in the league. Like, I think the ACC is very average again this year, and there's going to be somebody that probably jumps up. Whoever it is, maybe if Clemson figure out figures out their offense, they jump up, or maybe it is Louisville or whoever Carolina finally stops being, you know, a poor version of NC state, like whatever it is, like there's, there's some point where someone's going to jump.
0: And so for you, I, I think, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, but what for you as a reporter, I think there's an interesting angle when, and we, I think I briefly touched on this in the earlier question is when you have this kind of coaching switch, what's that process like for you? When there's such an overhaul and such a turn, whatever details you're able to share, obviously, what is that process like? So
1: it was a little different because Brent and I have a a really good relationship. So I was closer to him than I was with Jeff Collins. So it was a little bit different. It was interesting because Jeff Collins had like practices open and kind of this open door policy. But there was all these rules about what you could report. It was an interesting way of kind of containing information because he allowed us in, but it actually thwarted a lot of the inside information you would normally get because we would see things that I already knew, but it couldn't report because I saw them with my own eyes and so did everyone else. So then it looks sketchy if I put it out there. Um, Brent shut everything down and and went kind of into a bunker with his guys for the last, you know, nine weeks or whatever it was, eight weeks of the season. And I guess it was nine because they had a buy. And um, it was just, it was very different. And um, it was very like, even the personalities of the coaches and stuff were a little bit different. Just seeing them kind of be themselves. I think there was a lot of sort of jive with the coaches, like trying to act like how they wanted, they thought Jeff wanted them to act. And Thacker, again, is the example i use there. He's a totally different person talking to the media now than he was even in person. Like he's much more relaxed than he was a year ago. Like he's just totally kind of changed his vibe. And So I think, you know, that's one of the things you adjust to. I think there was a lot of pushback from people wanting them to go out and and make outside hires that didn't like Brent because the offensive line had some struggles because that was going to be the, the, you know, the quarterback and the offensive line were going to be the two biggest changes when you made the switch from the triple option and they missed on some guys and had some bad strategy, but a lot of that was Jeff Collins strategy. Like they wanted to go into the portal and, didn't want to build it as organically and and so those things all kind of add up too and so there were a lot of people blaming i think brant and there was you know it's a conversation i've had with him before too was like you haven't had to work with a lot of he had been a long time since he had coached kind of misfit toys he was at alabama coaching five nfl guys you know like so there is a little bit of a learning curve. They hired a guy who knows how to work with, as I would call it, misfit toys, and and Jeep Wade from Appalachian State to be the line coach now. And, and Brent says he does an amazing job. So um, it is interesting. It, it's interesting to going from like a like the it wasn't as weird as like Jeff Collins when Jeff Collins hired. I didn't know him from Adam, and he had been at Georgia Tech before I ever covered them as a like a staff assistant and stuff. Um. But I mean, it's one of those things that I've learned over the years. I covered Mark Richt at Georgia, I covered Paul Johnson, so that was very interesting covering two guys who one who became a legendary coach, and one who came into Georgia Tech as um, a guy that with a really strong legacy and kind of embraced me and and brought me into his world a little bit. So it, it's been uh, interesting. Brent totally gets it. That's the one thing I will say. Like he understands what our relationships are and and how to how to. Um, how to make it convenient for me to do my job, which is, you know, ba- the biggest thing for me is like, I don't want to have 8,000 roadblocks and um, trying to do my job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as he adjusts into, and it's weird to call it his second year just because he take it. It's not really, was like, you know, yeah. like, it's
1: it's, yeah, like this is for, like, we had a long conversation about just like, you know, what, yeah. Yeah. asked my thoughts about like media access and things like that. Just like, Cause he wasn't sure what to do. Like, you know, he's trying to figure it all out and he had had plans and understanding of what he wanted to do, but he was open-minded enough to like, even hear myself out or someone like a couple other people on the beat. Like, what do you guys need? What do you, you know, what, what helps you guys do your job better? What makes my job easier too in dealing with you? Like, and I was like a little bit of access helps because you, it will take out some of the stupid questions or it'll allow us to ask, more, um, informed questions in some ways without having to wait and see who's in the lineup. And it it takes out some of the nonsense you deal with during the week. If you even just going in for practice for a half hour, 45 minutes.
0: Yeah. And I think what's unique about, and this is something that I've learned in the last year doing like covering Clemson football, for example, is that relationship between there's almost like a give and take. And what he's trying to learn as well is not only is he trying to adjust to being the head guy on the football field, he's got to be the face of the program he's got to be able to answer the tough questions and so there is a significant learning curve that goes beyond just x's and o's so that is something that i guess in time it gets a little easier but it's still a process and there's such a rotation with people and trying to learn building relationships it's it's a long process
1: yeah i mean it was interesting i was watching i was working yesterday in the sec media room and sam Pittman went up to talk the, who's an offensive line coach who became a head coach at Arkansas and is still kind of green in some ways as a head coach. And it was interesting watching kind of the ebb and flow of his press conference. Cause there were a couple of times where he got into the weeds on some things and was trying to be too cute or too funny, or, you know, try to bond with somebody for no apparent reason. Like he got asked about Oklahoma or something like, you know, there was a lot of that, the Texas and Oklahoma talk was pretty heavy at the podium And so it's interesting to watch these guys kind of handle things. Jeff Collins went, did a complete 180 from Temple and like just was like overly positive about it. Like if they got just beat down, like when they got embarrassed by Clemson, when the punter threw a touchdown, like um, in, in Atlanta, he was acting like it was like a close game and that was insulting to people. Like, Um, You can't do that. So I think Brent, the one thing that Brent is, he's extremely honest. I think that goes a long way with people. Um, If you're willing to address and help them understand what the challenges are, they're going to be a lot more likely to support you versus sugarcoating everything. And I think that's what got, you know, also got Jeff in in trouble is, you know, talking about how elite they were at everything. And then you have, you know, four punts blocked in a season, like, Like you're not elite. And that was the one thing that Jeff coached. So it's like, those are the things that, that I think Brent has learned just from watching, watching that up close and watching Nick Saban and how Nick and his wife operate with recruiting and how they handle day-to-day stuff and George O'Leary and how he handled day-to-day stuff. And so it's a very different vibe down there, but the kids seem to like it and they respect him. And I think that's, that's a huge thing that was maybe missing from the program.
0: Yeah, and as we adjust, or he adjusts into his, I put it in air quotes, his second year, he's still kind of the the rookie tag. This really is his first full off season with Georgia Tech. And as they head into spring ball, something that I picked up on is that a quarterback named Haynes King was transferring or transferred to Georgia Tech, a name that was big in the SEC, a big commit to Texas A&M at the time, now is in a quarterback battle. So besides with that, and then looking big picture for this Georgia Tech team, as they build off momentum from a pretty strong finish to the season, given how things started, what have been your impressions with this program in the spring, and what have you, what are you looking forward to when fall camp kicks off?
1: I think the quarterback battle is a huge thing that people talk about. Everyone seems to forget that Zach Pyron was like a higher-rated recruit who's committed to Baylor and ended up flipping to Georgia Tech because he wanted to be closer to home and um everyone's like very excited about Haynes King and and Zach sort of outplayed him if you look kind of at the parallels even though he's a year younger so Zach Pyron if they started today would be the starting quarterback he was head and shoulders above Haynes King in the spring now whether that changes in the fall or not that's you know what camp's about they haven't named a quarterback and I don't expect them to maybe even before the first game uh, just for gamesmanship but um, you know, they're very similar guys. Both tough guys can, can run the offense. Uh, Buster Faulkner came over from UGA to be the offensive coordinator, has a lot of experience running the offense. He's an, you know, Atlanta Metro kid um, from Parkview high school and, and had a, you know, it was a, a college quarterback and and then was offensive coordinator in, um Mississippi state and Southern miss and some other places. And they're, you know, going to make it try to make it as easy as they can on the quarterback. I think, they have a good offensive system. The defense has just been tweaked a little bit. Um, you know, they brought in some new coaches just because they had a, you know, they made a couple changes on the staff to get better recruiters in and just have, um, you know, some guys that Brent was maybe a little more comfortable with on the staff. And so they have a really strong staff now. They hired a special teams coach to address that because that was a big problem last year for them as well. I think they've kind of addressed the things they can. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, one staying healthy, which is was a big problem last year for them. And then two, um, being able to execute both offensively and defensively. And I think they have talent at most spots to do that. I think, you know, the few areas of concern I have would be like cornerback is uh one of the, you know, they lost Samari Walton transferred to Ole miss, who was a starting quarterback the last few years. Um, cornerback. Um they have Miles Sims back, but he was hurt in the spring, so he didn't look like himself. So who's the other starting corner? If Miles is healthy, that's one question. Um, their safety position is probably as good as anyone in the ACC. And then, you know, linebackers, they have all new linebacker core. So like, what does that look like? They have three grad transfers. Um, uh, Audrey White from A- Texas A&M, Braylon Oliver from uh, Minnesota, and Paul Myola from Idaho slash Notre Dame. Those three guys in Trinilla Stadium, they'll be battling for two or three spots depending on how they line up. So, when you look at all that, those are sort of the big overarching questions, there's not a ton of like, hey, this is a really dire situation at the spot or whatever the defensive lines like very solid, the offensive line for the first time really since probably about 2014 like well before 2015 16 maybe first time in a really long time. Um, they've had what I would call depth, like real serviceable depth there so. I think they have the building blocks. It's just a matter of like, can they execute it? Can they get the ball in their playmakers hands on offense? Can they be solid defensively? And if they do those things, they have a chance to go bowling and that's progress. And the big thing for Brent key is he needs to improve what, you know, Paul Johnson used to talk about. And it's something I believe in as well. You have what we call one through eight talent, right? Like the top end of your roster, who are the eight best players. And right now they don't have enough of those guys. And, that's where you, you have a difference maker in a game. Like I can go in and and make a play that changes the dynamics of game, whether it's like a kick return guy or, you know, a running back that can break open and break off a 50 yard run, whatever those things are, you know, really dominant slot receiver. Those are the, those guys and who, who ends up being the one through eight guys will kind of make or break their season. I think.
0: Yeah. And I, it's interesting the one through eight, that you bring that up and what a guy like Paul Johnson was, is and I, I think this is a good transition to what what this series has really been for for this podcast is that we try to define expectations for each program and when you ask the thing that's unique about this episode is that we've had seven episodes to be able to get these different perspectives like talking to Notre Dame for example is hey this is a team that can compete for potentially a playoff spot or Wake Forest saying hey if we can reach maybe seven games that's a successful season giving everything that's happened or a Miami team that's trying to reclaim some of its former glory. Where does Georgia tech stand within this ACA you earlier called it is a weaker version of what it was last year with a couple of standout teams, but a lot of teams fighting for that middle ground. What, how does Brent key and Georgia tech define success in this coming year? And for this future, obviously you want key to stick around for a while. Where does this program go from here? And, for you, when you look at, you said bowling would be progress. Is that how this program should define expectations moving forward?
1: I think, you know, the expectation moving forward is get it back back to where they were for 30-something years, which was competing for the top half of the ACC on a regular basis, which they did with Chan Gailey, they did with George O'Leary, and Paul Johnson did a great job of that. Like, they were in first place or second place in the division every single year, um, pretty much you know, minus two or three seasons with Paul and, and, you know, 10 plus years and Chan, you know, went to ACC championship, um, did a decent job with it, people forget at the time he had scholarship restrictions and things like that. And then O'Larry did a very good job, but it was just at a time where Florida state was really dominant in the league and there was no championship game either. So um, when you look at all of the things, I think getting back to being in the, basically what, I would say nc state does is sort of the baseline like you want to be seven to nine wins a season right like that's your where you want to hit your baseline and then having special seasons intermix which is what paul johnson was good at he had, paul was let down by you know things the administration did and and a lot of things that he had no control over that kind of had a little there was a little more of a roller coaster with it and a little more inconsistent but uh, especially towards the end but that should be where they they shoot for. And um I think Brett's capable of getting them there. It's a question of um, you know, being able to to develop talent, develop the players they have, keep the players they have, and and then going into the portal and adding key pieces here and there. They're not trying to be, you know, old miss and add 50 players in the portal. Um, they're trying to recruit, develop their own players and then keep them. And yeah, that's where Wake Forest kind of falls off the bus, right? Like they develop these superstar players and they leave. And so, you know, that you don't want to lose a Jameer Gibbs. Like they lost Jameer Gibbs last year at Alabama. That was huge for them, losing him. That cost possibly Jeff his job and and probably three or four wins. And so and it probably cost Jameer Gibbs a dope walker award, like because he went to Alabama and he was one of three running backs there. And they used him in a rotation versus having to be the bell cow. So, you know, when you look at all this stuff, I think that um, they clearly are able to get talent in. it's, you know, that development piece wasn't what it should have been. And then being able to sustain it on a regular basis and not be like this team where everyone's like, oh, what are they going to be this year? You know, one guy gets hurt and the wheels come off like that's kind of what it's been the last few years. And I think they are you want to get back to the one thing that Paul Johnson did a great job of is every time they went on the field, except for the last time he played Georgia, they had a chance to win. Even when they played Clemson, they had most of those games were close. Like they were hanging with them. Even when they were totally overmatched, um, he was able to figure out a way to have a competitive game. And Brand has shown the ability to do that a little bit. Can he show that as a sustainable thing with his staff? That's going to be what's going to make or break him.
0: Yeah. And I think, for Georgia Tech in a, in a year like this in the ACC where there are a lot of, there's a lot more questions than answers for a lot of these teams. And so if Georgia Tech can maybe pick up a significant win, you mentioned the the three I think that came to mind were Ole Miss, Clemson, and Georgia. Even if they, like you said, can play them close and have that belief system start to materialize that, hey, we do have a chance in these games. Maybe they don't win any of those, but they're all close, for example. And so these players can go into that off scene saying, hey, we gave – Clemson and Georgia, who are playoff contenders, Ole Miss, who's a near six bowl contender, we we gave them runs, we gave them something to think about, and I think that would be a long way moving forward. And if you can compete with the Georges and the Clemsons, there's no reason why they shouldn't win at least eight games a year.
1: Yep, and with the way the schedules realigning, that should help them. Georgia Tech always had sort of the tougher deal because they always had Clemson and and they would play the game against UGA every year. So you yeah, the two games that were as hard as anyone else's two games on, um, you know, really the only other team that had that is South Carolina. Um, every year in their schedule, like if you look across the country or, you know, maybe, you know, one of the SEC West uh, Auburn playing Alabama and Georgia every year, right? Like there were not a lot of those where you had this absolute, you got to play this killer, these two killer teams every year. And that was the way it's been really since Clemson got rolling that that also hurt Georgia tech when they started rolling that made that game that had been a little bit more, even it really shifted over towards Clemson. And so, yeah, I mean, you gotta just try to manage it. The schedule is what it is. They got to schedule smarter. The Ole Miss series got pushed back. That was supposed to be 10 years ago and they didn't want to deal with Paul Johnson. So they pushed, kept punting it. Um, So, you know, getting some of those games off their schedule will help a lot too. Like, this is the end of that one. Um, I think they got Colorado coming up in a few years. Like they've, they've stopped doing some of these like more crazy non-conference cheapo scheduling things that they did.
0: Yeah. And I think that we could transition. You talk about Clemson um, a little bit, and th- this is one of the other things that I like to our writers to answer when they are part of this series is that it's one thing for me to be able to say, Oh, Clemson's done this and this in the off season. This is what they're going to be like or this is my perspective on the last two years, because you look back from 2015 to 2020, obviously there's great standouts like Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, but they lost a total of seven games in, those stret- in that stretch. The last two seasons, six, game- six losses in two seasons, obviously the Uyungle experiment didn't work out like Clemson fans hoped it would. And Dabo Sweeney, after the Orange Bowl, makes the change with Brandon Streeter, the first-time offensive coordinator. He brings in Garrett Riley, who's the big name from TCU, Uh, hoping to revamp this offense back to the standard that they want to raise it to. And from your perspective, what have you seen from Clemson in the last two years? What made it, what made those last two seasons kind of the roller coaster affair that it was? And where do you see them as a potential playoff contender power in the ACC? What do you see from them moving forward? What is your perspective?
1: I thought they were extremely underachieving the last two years. Um, I thought offensively at times it looked like they were, it was a guy playing Madden, just picking plays off of a playbook, like in a video game, like there seemed they were not setting things up. There was not a lot of strategy to it. You had a quarterback who couldn't execute what you were asking him to do. And it made no sense to me. Like, and I'm not a big Tony Elliott guy. I thought um, really there, I thought him and Jeff Scott, there was a lot, they were more talented than other people. And that's a way you can win. Absolutely. And if you have an elite guy that's self-driven like Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence, I think that shows you, I think you've seen Virginia now with Tony Elliott. He made terrible decisions with their quarterback. who was a really good quarterback. And it's like, clearly, maybe there's a little, it was a little bit of, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors uh, in terms of like how good a coach they were. What did Dabo do to turn things around? He he went outside of his bubble and hired and Venables, who was an amazing defensive coordinator, he went and got Chad Morris, who was a great offensive mind to to replace Billy Napier. And then that kick started their move. And then he tried to grow organically and he did not have guys that were ready for that because I think the coaches that were there were not developing the guys in the way they needed to to, to be ready to jump up. Venables is a very hands-on guy. Like he wasn't grooming some dude to take over for him. And I don't I just don't think you at Clemson, you don't hire from within to be your offensive coordinator, especially when the guy was struggling that was your offensive coordinator a little bit. Um, so to me, I think he's made the right moves. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like now as a team. Um, but I think he got back to what made him successful, which is uh, follow what Nick Saban does, right? Like, I'm going to go out and hire the best guy I can get, right? Or Kirby Smart. Like, I'm going to go hire the best guy I can get. And the problem for Dabo is he's not like Nick or, or – kirby who are great defensive minds where they develop a guy organically through their staff Dabo couldn't call the offense like and he'd probably tell you that like if you asked him honestly like he's got to be able to find these guys organically you can't just i mean not organically but go out and find guys you know via the coaching uh you know search like this is the next big guy he needs to find his version of mike elko who helped make dave clausen what he is like or um you know, going and getting a hot shot offensive coordinator, not going in and promoting some dude that played for him because they're tight and it's comfortable for him. And the coaches get complacent. I've seen this with a lot of coaches, and you know, guys make mistakes and they have friendships and um, I think he's he's gotten back to what made him successful. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. I still I still think their portal philosophy is a mistake. Um, I think they should be going in and trying to find upgrades where they can get them and be a little more aggressive with it. But uh, you know, maybe time will tell if he's right or wrong on that. I think you don't need to go add 10 guys, but I think you can go add three or four guys that can immediately help your roster. That's what Alabama's doing. That's what Georgia tech's doing Georgia. Like these programs are going out and getting guys who can come in and start or push for a starting job. And when you have offensive line problems, right? That's the big thing that's killed Clemson too the last you go back to Trevor Lawrence, really like the offensive line's not been very good. So um, I think that's where you, you've got to figure some things out. They have money and resources to do that. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to be so anti let's go out and get like the great offensive tackle. who Yeah. Maybe we have to pay him $500,000, but we've got the money like in our collective, let's go get this guy who can help us win even if it's one more game, like at, a, at Clemson, you're talking about nine to 10 wins or 11, 12, or whatever it is like that, that one guy could be the difference between you making the playoffs and it making the playoffs.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing that I stressed when Garrett Riley got hired is that going outside your bubble with Brent Venables with Chad Morris is getting, and I, I hate the term yes, man, but I think getting a guy with fresh and unique ideas into a program, especially one that's been doing something that they two national championships and consistent playoff appearances, you start to get comfortable with what you're doing. And that routine becomes, like you say, you can get complacent sometimes with that. So bringing in a new face with a new ideas saying, Hey, this is how we did it here can invigorate some new life into a program that's felt a little bit stuck in the mud the last two years. If I wanted to put it like that.
1: Yeah. I think there was just too much. He did too much of like promoting from within like, and that happens at a lot of, I've seen that happen with so many coaches. And um, sometimes you have to break away from that. I saw with Mark Richt, he had, a, he kept promoting um, his like defensive coordinator, was his old friend that had coached with him forever and a former teammate. And like he had to break away from that guy to kind of kick his program up a level. Um, you just see this. And it's one of those things that if you don't have guys getting hired off your staff, becomes a problem um, where you're like, uh, you know, so and so has been with me for a long time. So, and I saw it firsthand because, like I said, I've covered USF recruiting. So I watched Jeff Scott flounder horribly and I have no idea what the hell he was doing. You know, Daquan Bowers went there to be the D line coach and he struggled. Um, you know, the one guy who actually did a really good job, I thought, was uh, Cam Aiken, who had been this long time like staff guy for Dabo and he got to be the running backs coach down there. And he did a great job. But most of those guys, I think, were a little overmatched. And Xavier die like these guys just were not maybe ready for that level of job. They were not developed enough to jump into a like a FBS job. And so, I mean, if you want Brandon Streeter to be your offensive coordinator, you needed to go send him somewhere for a few years to work with someone else to get and and send him like have him go call plays at App State or wherever for a few years to get some seasoning throwing that guy into the frying pan was a disservice to him, like as a coach, like, and, you know, that's where, you know, some of these coaches get caught either in hubris or just trying to reward their guys or whatever it is. And, um, you know, I think Dabo had to learn that lesson the hard way it cost him, you know, another ring, like uh, at least, and, you know, squandered some teams.
0: Yeah. And with, and with that, I, it it was a, and I I bring this up with, I think Dabba would probably never say this, but sometimes getting the look back and if Garrett Riley is what people hope he is, you go, maybe the 2022 season, you needed to go through that. You needed a bit of a kick in the face to kind of re-energize some of what made Clemson successful for those, that seven year stretch.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, you know, adversity is a great motivator. I was just watching Nick Saban and he seemed much more relaxed than he was a year ago. And I think he thinks they're going to be sneaky good and surprise people. And so, you know, I think he was more uptight last year cause he didn't know like what they were mm-hmm. and he, they were getting picked high. And it was sort of a lot about Bryce young. And, um, I think these, these coaches kind of have a sense and you can tell, I'll be curious to see what, um, I don't know if I'll see, be there when Clemson's there, but, um, see what, you know, Dabo's like in, at, uh, in Charlotte at the ACC kickoff, like, cause you can learn a lot by just kind of seeing their personas and like what they're like and stuff. And, um, I get a little bit of vibe off of and I like Dabo. I think he's a really, he's done a tremendous job as a coach. I think he's suffer. He's one of these guys is incredibly loyal and it, it can be a disservice to you at times in a business. That's not, that doesn't reward that in a lot of ways. And, um you know clemson fans were complaining when they had like you know, weren't winning the national championship and getting eliminated in the playoffs and he's like hey do you remember what it was with the two tommies like you know you know before i took this job over and i'll never forget the story i was tell is i was at the acc championship in 2009 and two big clemson boosters two older guys walked over to me i was shooting pictures i had another guy up in the box writing the game and i just kind of wanted to be on the field and shoot pictures of that game and um these two boosters walk up to me, you cover Georgia tech. I was like, yeah. goes, well, we wish we had your coach and not that moron Dabo coaching us. <laughs> and like, that was like, you know, and, and then they won like six games the next year or whatever. And then he turned it around. Like, so you never know what, like, what you have, like, but it's always funny to me. Like when someone says something like that, like, Oh, you know, I remember, you know, North Carolina fans crowing about Larry Fedora, like, I knew what was wrong with Larry Fedora. I'd watched what happened at Southern Miss after he left. He couldn't run a program, like he was going to win with talent as long as it was there. But he couldn't, didn't know how to replenish it, um, in a lot of ways, and was very much going to always sacrifice his offense for, uh, sacrifice his defense for his offense. Like he didn't know how to coach with balance. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into all this, and and I think Dabo's a smart guy, and I think he'll, uh, I think he's a tremendous recruiter, and. Does a good job and people respect him. And, and I think he will continue to have that thing be a juggernaut. He's just got to find the right people to run it because it is almost in cruise control. And you, the problem with cruise control is you can kind of fall asleep at the wheel. And I think that's what happened the last couple of years.
0: Yep. And we'll see if those, uh, we'll see if some of these offseason hires start to pay off beginning in the fall with Duke. So this was episode 134 of the Name of the Plan podcast and part eight of 10 within our Clemson football preview series. It's been a blast to be able to continue this series along with Kelly Quinlan, the publisher of Jackets Online. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up?
1: No, just uh, looking forward to watching football in, what, um, 40 days, something like that. No, less than that. Um, thirty, Like basically a month and and a couple days away from first kickoff for week zero.
0: The countdown begins. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you enjoyed this, leave a thought down below and just continue to do the support that you've been pouring onto the series. Subscribe, leave all the comments. You guys know what to do. Have a great day and take care.